unpack six main strategies to attain financial freedom in your 20s or within a number of years with little to no experience you can be starting as a complete bum on the couch the goal is to get the relief to stop worrying and stressing about money so you don't have to think about it doesn't negatively weigh on your mind impact your life stop you from doing things and constrain what you're interested in doing okay so a warning for this episode there'll be a twist there'll be a catch okay so just a heads up and don't don't you dare jump ahead, go through the journey. So let's unpack them and find the quickest way to this nirvana of financial freedom that works for you. Now, the first principle, of course, is a simple idea gets talked about a lot, won't spend too much time on it, but the idea that you won't get rich renting out your time, that lovely old cliche, you know, how much you can earn doing salaried typical jobs and work where you exchange your time to manually do something. And that's the concept of renting out your time with all your living expenses and everything in there. It's hard to save enough to actually get to that point on your own. It's like cycling on a bike. Like if you stop pedaling, no one's going to pedal for you. And if you stop pedaling, well, then you eventually run out of pace and you just come to a complete stop. You can't get someone else to do it for you. The idea of financial freedom is normally thought of as not having to push the pedals on that bike, having a motorbike where you just move the clutch. That's supposedly what it is. And the six the things I want to talk about, I kind of ruled out climbing corporate ladders and ladders at companies only because I don't, well, I didn't really experience that from the inside myself. So let's get into the six. Now the disclaimer, this is not financial advice. You have to get independent financial advice for you. It's a general discussion of my journey relating it, hopefully to people like you. Secondly, they will be oversimplified, right? And we'll under understand why at the end, I'll have to oversimplify these things that are incredibly complex for the sake of keeping this concise. So first let's talk about shares, right? I didn't know that much about shares as an avenue is always interesting. There's lots of stories about people who make a lot of money through shares. My brother has traded some of my money on shares and stuff for a couple of years and some hit, some hit and a lot of miss. So it's hard work. The, the day trading idea is like, if you don't know what that is, like trading every day, like if it's rising, lowing, selling appropriately, and that's like, starts to replace, become a full-time job. So unless you're looking for that as a full-time job, you probably chuck that out as an option. And then a lot of the other things, what the fam some of the famous investors, a lot of them like Peter Lynch, Warren Buffett, if you've heard those names, were very long-term in their thinking which starts to become a problem when we want to become financially free in our 20s. But it gets even more complicated because how do you even pick what's going to be a good long-term stock? A lot of us do this thing we think is investing, but we're actually gambling, which is quite funny because you're basically throwing stuff around. You don't really have an educated hypothesis on what's going to work and what's not. And Warren Buffett, very famous, one of the most famous investors in public markets of all time and buying companies and all this stuff, he even says that the S&P 500, which is this index in America, it's like investing in the top 500 or leading 500 companies in, in America, in the US. He says that tends to be often a great investment. You look at something like the S&P 500, and I looked it up and the average returns based on my research since 1957 was just over 10% a year, which, you know, it's not bad, but if you've only got, you're a young person, you only got 10 grand to put in there, that's $1,000 after the first year. 11 and then so maybe you could add to it but it's not like going crazy it's again a long-term thing and it's also interesting because you have to time it you have to get in at a certain time get out at the right time and some of those factors you always have to conscious of then you got tax and blah blah, blah. 
Oof, not that simple. Okay, let's go to number two. Let's talk about property. My family background, three generations, developing property in, in Sydney. I started a real estate business. So, you know, I've had a lot of exposure and still manage a lot of property to this day. Think about property though, looking at it from the inside, there's a bit of work in there. You know, the idea is that you'd own these investment properties, rent them out to tenants to live in them, and they just pay you rent, and you're just sitting back and collecting rent and living the dream, right? Can be a bit more <laughs> to it than that. Okay, so you have tenants. I've managed a lot of tenants over the years. I have enough stories to make a complete sitcom about tenants and properties. I've seen, you know, fires in buildings, people who made brothels in there. That didn't happen under my watch, but friends, I swear. You know, people abusing you, people deserting properties, costing owners thousands of dollars. Headaches have lasted up to six months. All these repairs that have to happen, prices getting approved. There's a lot of work that often goes into managing tenants in the properties. And not only that, saving up enough to get in, getting a deposit, depending on the part of the world you're in, it can be hard work and then you've got mortgage and sometimes you can get quite locked in by your regular mortgage repayments we have the 30-year mortgage these days and a lot of people get too into it they can't afford to miss a week of work or go on holiday because they have mortgage repayments coming out and they just can't afford to do that they might have a very good reason for being that desperate to get into the property market Maybe because of living conditions or something like that, I don't know. Even then, you still need a job or income source to get in, to save up enough money to buy that property. Now, third, I'll talk about this very quickly. Crypto, at the time making this video, doesn't have very good branding. It's kind of crashed a bit. You can think about crypto in the same level you think about shares. That's the way most people do. It's a very oversimplified view of the kind of universe around cryptocurrency. I can't even go there in this video, but you know, so same kind of problems as some of the other two for me. Okay, then you got starting a business. In 2017, I started a real estate business. I wanted to learn more about entrepreneurship. I was 22 and there were two business partners who I thought were like quite experienced and would be the guides. And I wasn't that interested in real estate, but they, they were. Within a year, they had actually both left the business. So I was 23 running a business on my own with, with staff who I later had to fire in a very ugly incident. And I was inexperienced and I had a lot of, like confused and felt trapped. When you run a business and the photocopier is breaking, you're the guy has to fix the photocopier. Sometimes you're doing less glamorous work than you would be just with a, a more regular job. Now that's like a, a negative exhaustion, there are plenty of positives, but it always looks easier than it kind of sounds. You don't know if what you're doing is going to succeed unless you've developed some career capital, experience, reputation. But how do you do that when you're starting from scratch? You've got to go through this ugly period. I learned a lot doing this business that I wouldn't have been able to beforehand that's put me in a better position to do stuff now. That's the thing. Another point I'll make on that, you know, take two of the most highly valued companies in the world right now, say Airbnb and Uber. You look at how they started out. Airbnb one of the biggest problems they had was the quality of photos on the ads, people putting up of their accommodation. So what they did, they actually flew to New York, the founders, the founders, and offered to give them professional photography, people who were listing on the site, so that at first they would have more luck getting people to book using their platform. Uber, similar story, the founders were actually very hands-on. They interviewed all the drivers that started with them. They interviewed all the drivers before they joined in the Uber platform to kick it off. 
It's two of the biggest companies in the world. These people getting their hands dirty full on. See, the thing about the work involved and the glamour, you know, a lot of small businesses, owners, especially in my part of the world, half of them, I think it is, or so there's some crazy stat, they earn less than the minimum wage. So that's less glamorous too. All right, what about making money online? You know, what about drop shipping? Well, I gave that a crack for a short while too. To explain drop shipping for a sec, it's where I put up a website, I'm selling something like podcast gear, but it's actually getting made somewhere else, normally China. And then the China, the factory in China actually just sends it straight to the person who's bought it. Maybe they're in America. And I'm sitting in Australia laughing, collecting the money and just managing, making sure that machine works. It's often this idea that oh, I get this automated income. Tried it for a bit. The product didn't really work. That was one thing. The headaches involved, actually organizing it, negotiating with manufacturers. Then we'd have to figure out the advertising. There was going to be money involved in advertising it. So that was risky. You didn't even know if it was going to work. You had to be very patient. You had to give it time. And I was like, oh, I'm not even really that interested in doing it. So that kind of lapse couldn't be bothered. Number six, selling digital products or building an audience online and then selling something related to it. In the age of online followers, subscribers, TikTok, we have democratized the ability to be famous and known from that was really just preserved for like maybe world leaders and I don't know, movie stars to, you know, 12 year olds with a, with an iPhone. And it's an interesting age. The other part of that, you can make digital products like online courses, online communities, you know, boot camps, all these sort of things where you don't actually have to have that hard product. Now, the problem with that, especially when I started getting interested in that space, what do you teach people? You have to have something to actually teach or starting to build an audience from scratch is not necessarily easy because yeah, there has to be a reason people are watching or consuming what you do. And yet the idea is start out, learn, and then just be patient with the journey if you really want to do it. I encourage people to do it all the time. I'm still on that journey, nowhere near the, the big time yet myself, but I've been doing it for two and a bit years. It's still going. But if someone else like a Sim Taleb was going to make a course on options trading or Emma Watson was going to make a course on acting or leadership or if Cal Newport made a Twitter account tomorrow, he'd start getting thousands of followers just straight away. None of us are at that level, but that's the principle that whatever, if you've developed the traction somewhere else, all those things become easier to launch. You've already done the work somewhere else. You just translate it online. Whereas you're starting from scratch with no experience. You can be clasping at straws a bit to figure out how you make an income or career doing that stuff. How you use that as a pathway to financial freedom. Not only that, but a lot of people who are online creators with big followings and audiences, even up to the millions, struggle for money. No one realizes that, but the people I work with in startups and influencers talk about it all the time. Not only that, but a lot of the people I know who have big accounts online talk about how it took them time before they started having big online hits. They were persevering for months or months, trying new things, not getting much traction. So there's a bit of persistence that actually has to happen there. And there's a basic level of commitment you have to have to that journey for it to actually pay off. Again, I've oversimplified all these areas because what it is, you really have to go into them all deeper to really understand them. None of them are as simple. Step one, two, three, do this for a decade. So if you're going to go that deep, you have to have some basic level of interest in them. Another thing is you can get the highest salary or income opportunity you can find at a young age and use that to fund these kind of investments and things. But at the end of the day, are you going to do something you're not interested in to do that? Now, I know a lot of people who are buying properties and getting this money to invest on the side, but they don't actually love or like that much what they're doing with their waking hours, with the majority of their waking hours. And it makes them feel bad the rest of the time. What's the trade-off here? 
Are you willing to live three years, a six out of what I'd call a six out of 10 life? If you're only saving like 20% of what you're earning above all your living expenses and stuff like that for the promise of some financially free future or early retirement where you don't have to work anymore, what are you even going to do once you're not working? So the idea is if you can do something you're interested in that you would do for what I would say call an audience of none, you'll be getting paid to do what you would otherwise not do for any money with those waking hours. And then you could still do whatever else on the side, invest here, invest there. Now that might be investing in property. You might, that actually might be the fun thing for you. Trading shares might be something you actually enjoy. And a lot of people do really well with it. It doesn't matter what it is really. It doesn't matter if you're a clown, if you're a barista, a writer, if you just love it and you can get paid doing it, that is the safest possible, I think, path. Is that not financial freedom? So there are two parts for this to me. The first is a story I've told very often on this channel or podcast about my experiences in Nepal, where I went a couple of times, was involved in Nick Abraham's nonprofit work in 2018 in particular, which was after the first year of me working on my real estate business. I had this very simple spending $8 a day, reading books, sitting there, waking up in amongst the community, doing a bit of work. By night, we would, you know, eat by the fire, tell stories, talk about life. We wouldn't even have time for Netflix. Back in Australia, or you know, especially in other parts of the West, where we're so worn out by trying to motivate ourselves through all these things and these extrinsic goals, these external things, that we're so worn out that we need reality TV or Netflix to fill the time at night so we can calm down. And so the concept of the minimum viable lifestyle, the one I developed around there, is like understanding what I actually need before I worry about what I think that costs. And then what I realized is I was actually just cut almost 90% of the financial goal. The second story was years later, still working on the real estate business. This would be late 2019. So you can see how long these lessons kind of take to crystallize. And another point where this sense of freedom really came was when I decided that we were going to take a bigger risk, but actually just get more creative and be more unique with how we were running the business. And the specifics of like the business model change probably aren't that interesting, but also we had more fun with it. We did more creative advertising. There's a video on YouTube you could find it where I'm arresting a real estate agent saying he's ripping people off and we had a good laugh. Advertising could have been better, but I've learned since then. I was still doing the same kind of thing. The business was still had the same name, but often I'd felt trapped in it in the past. Now I felt free. I felt creative and I was more excited and I was more excited to come to work. And it combined the lesson of the MVL with the practical everyday things of participating in the world we live in and making the most of it. And that was a very important lesson. From that point, most of the time since then, I felt like I almost retired then. And I almost come out of retirement when I feel like I'm doing something with my working life just for the sake of it. These days, I live more like the people in Nepal than the people who live around me in Sydney. That's the truth. And what I mean by that is, I don't earn very much money, but I would argue with you that I've found, well, I don't know if there's such a thing as total, but a, a, almost essentially financial freedom because I'm freed from letting finances have too big a role in dictating the circumstances of my life. Okay. Now I remember what was our ultimate goal for this episode, right? What was the ultimate goal? We talked about it. The goal is to get the relief to stop worrying and stressing about money. So you don't have to think about it, doesn't negatively weigh on your mind, impact your life, stop you from doing things and constrain what you're interested in doing. 
that's the goal and that's the important thing to remember. My life today is a continual work in progress. In 2020, I decided to take time away from focusing on real estate and focus more on education as a societal challenge because that's a problem that's really meaningful to me to work towards best I can, whatever I can do. I didn't know what it looked like at the start, but I knew I was just gonna figure it out and I had enough time to do it because I didn't completely shut off the real estate thing. I just made sure I had enough time to figure it out and I'm still figuring it out. I get to spend much more time. I only get to write on weekends. Now I spend almost every day writing and podcasting. I get to help more people, to be honest, especially through Constant Student, which I'm still figuring out too. And no knock to real estate. I met people in real estate who really gave people an incredible experience and tried to make their lives easier in transition through something they were passionate about in real estate. So I understand why you think it's money that is often the solution here. And maybe it can be. But it's so often more about the relationship we have with the money and how we understand it and what our expectations are for it that I think have a much bigger role. So my question today is, what really is financial freedom? What does it look like? What does a week of being financially free look like in your calendar from wake up to head down? Can financial freedom be separated from other forms of freedom? Is it worth earning, getting lots of money and having it automated or passive or whatever we think it is if we become handcuffed in other, other ways, psychologically, with the commitments we're locked into or anything else? So coming up on with Joe Weeby, I'm gonna continue this as a little mini series like we did with Thought Leaders for now. So the next one will be about four of the biggest myths I think that everyday people tell themselves about money just to challenge that. And also put up a, a video on the YouTube channel during the week mainly. I don't know if I'll put it ever else on what we call the luxury trap, which is a really big thing that weighs us down. I think it probably influences our financial goals for like decades if you don't kind of pick up on it early. So talk about that. If you want to catch those episodes, there's probably three options. First is following along, pressing the follow button or the, note, the bell button on your favorite podcast player like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Second option is subscribing on the YouTube channel. But the third and most direct option, if you want to get notified, is in the description, there'll be a link to my email newsletter called The Dormant, which is just summarizing all the With Joe Eby stuff very concisely, maximum once a week email, unsubscribe at any time. So that would be the most direct way if you really don't want to miss it. Apart from that, a video, if you are in the mood, you want to dive deeper into this topic, I recommend going to the Minimum Viable Lifestyle. If this is on YouTube, there'll be an end card popping up right now, or you could check that out just by going to episode one any on, on any podcast player or even on my blog, The Minimum Viable Lifestyle, to dive deeper into this. Enjoy whatever, wherever you go next, and remember that the best way to open a thousand doors for you is to concentrate on opening doors for others.